This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Hawk Est, Back for the Oracle, The Barbara Gordon Podcast, Episode 231 for March MMXXIII. Batgirl the Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics right to the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out Mile High Comics. Comics.com. Well, it is 80 degrees. It is March 23rd. I'm upset. I only I feel like got one snowfall. It happened. Was it last Sunday or two Sundays ago? There was some snow coming down. It seemed heavy, but it wasn't sticking. And I just not, did not get the dumping that I wanted. So I am upset about that. It's too warm for my liking. But here we are. We're just gonna have to 
move on and make do with what mother nature is doing, but it's all our fault because of global warming and all of that. Well, I will, as an intro, talk to you briefly about this CW show called Gotham Knights. Now, I was unaware of Gotham Knights until the good professor, my chief Tata correspondent, Carolyn Coca, spoke about this and was going to spend her day watching this. And I thought, what is this? You know, I thought, oh, is she watching a stream, a full stream as if it were a movie of the video game? But no, it's a TV show on the CW. This is the first time hearing of it. I didn't see a trailer. I didn't watch a trailer. She did send me a review article. And just from that, I thought this sounds like it's trash. So she asked, which was delightful. She asked, would you like to hate watch this with me? And so last weekend, got together on Zoom and we watched the pilot episode of Gotham Knights. Now, going into it, I think we both expected it to be bad, bad, bad. And we're just going to, it was going to be painful and we're going to make fun of it and have fun in that way. But we both came away saying that it wasn't as bad as we originally thought it was going to be, but it it's not good. And I think it's not going to last more than one season. In fact, it might only already be canceled given other stuff that's going on with, with DC and HBO and all of that stuff. So if I were to talk about the positives, it is nice to see some of these characters like Carrie Kelly's in there and she is Robin. Stephanie Brown's in there. Harper Rowe is in there. Batman dies. So Bat Jerk dies. You know, that could be seen as a positive. There are some nods and mentions to things like Burnside is mentioned. Olive Silverlock is mentioned, which basically, which is something that Carolyn had said, Professor Coca, she said that, you know, should have just done the Gotham Academy. And I'm like, absolutely. Who wouldn't want to see a live action maps music? I really liked Harper Rowe. I think that that character was spot on. I was concerned because I was mixing up Harper with Duella and Duella was saying this stuff in a jail cell. And I thought, oh my gosh, this isn't Harper, right? But it was Duella. But just this person who is really intelligent, cares for her brother. All the beats seemed great for her. I was immediately engaged with that character. And even her brother, Colin, seemed like, oh, yeah, we're, we're getting this idea, trans masculine or trans male character, which is great and protected by Harper, but also really like wanting to step out on his own and not be protected by his big sister, uh, which are, I guess are twins, but I think Harper certainly acts like the, the elder of the two. So I felt like that was a great characterization as well. I did not like Duella. It was just too much. It was edgy, like really trying to do edgy, but she was just annoying. And at first I thought, well, they're probably going to make this lead character, whatever his name is, and Stephanie get together because they've known each other for a while. They're, um, she knew him before he was adopted by Bruce, but then the interactions between Duella and this guy, I'm like, well, probably there's going to be some sort of hate sex relationship going on with between those two. I'm sure we're supposed to ship them. So I did not like Duella. Stephanie could be okay, question mark. I mean, it's great to see Stephanie, but it, I don't know what her potential is because she just very much played the Barbara Gordon role, uh, running the op, being in the chair. And so if you're going to do that, why not just have Barbara Gordon? Is she, if she is just playing that kind of armchair hero, 
you know, does that mean she doesn't deserve to be trained? It just seems like there are a lot of characters and maybe too much. And then we get to the lead character who is probably an audience stand in. And I don't know if I've spoken about the recent Mortal Kombat film, but they made an audience stand in for that film, which was unnecessary because if you have a great cast of characters and you know for anything really why are you not using that why do you have to make somebody up and yes exposition you know that kind of helps which is one of the reasons why you kind of need duella because she knows the underworld so she is able to offer some information but still don't like her but this guy is just like he's a dud He's asking dumb questions. I'm looking at this guy and he just seems like washed out with, even though the background's really dark. And I, at one point I said to the professor, I said, I think this guy could be in Twilight. He looks like a Cullen. He's Edward Cullen. I did not like him. I don't know that, you know, if I continue to watch this, maybe, I don't know. I don't know that I'll ever really get into him. I just find it extremely unnecessary to make up a character when you could have just had Dick Grayson or somebody else in there. You have so many people. So we'll see what happens there. Maybe I'll get information from the professor. Maybe I'll watch it on my own, but I don't highly recommend it. I don't know if I necessarily recommend it at all. If you're a completionist, I guess give it a shot. If you like Carrie Kelly, I think probably that show will do her justice. I mean, to have a Robin and the Robin be a girl and that be the only capable fighter. So I imagine that she's going to be the leader because I don't know how you can have this dud be the leader, but she'll probably be training the other people, I imagine. Um, and the mutants. Yeah. So they've, it's an interesting like continuity with all these people, pre two face. Harvey Dent. There's no Jim Gordon. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. It's very confusing. You know, maybe give it a watch. Yes. So yay, Harper. <laughs> yay, Carrie Kelly and boo for the, the guy whose name I can't even remember, which is funny because Ian Prime even said his name on a, a tweet because we had tweeted about this and he said, or whatever his name is. And see, I can't even remember. That's how forgettable he is. So there you go. I also want to say that Batgirls is canceled with issue 19 and I'm about to review issue 16. So we have four to go counting the one that I'm going to be doing shortly. Is this shocking? Suppose not. I don't know that it was like a home run with fans and who even knows. I think the big question remained, what was the audience? Because I think people had an idea of what the audience was, but I don't know that it was written for that particular audience. No, it's touch and go. I mean, there were some really good issues. I mean, 14, I think is the the standout, right? I don't know that you can, did I give that a 10? I may have given it a 9.5. I maybe gave it a 10. I don't know, but that was the best issue of the run for sure. I don't know where these characters go from here. Michael W. Conrad, I think, tweeted at one point and said, you know, he, he obviously he and, and Becky are going to be doing some individual projects and these characters aren't going away and they'll be in places. I don't know where they're going to be. Barbara's in Nightwing, which is fine, but I feel like she deserves her own title. And Cass and Steph, I think, kind of float around in Detective Comics and we'll see them here and there, but there's not a dedicated book for them now. So just be aware of that. You may have already seen that news because this is a bit uh, later anyways, but there we go. So that's for my intro, I think. That's all I need to say. My Shags Mac and Cheese Comfort and Joy, I, a.k.a. my Find Your Joy segment. 
Harley Quinn, the television show, the animated series, finally watched it. I wasn't really interested in it. I think I had seen random clips and thought, Ooh, this is too much for me. And it is, it is edgy and raunchy at times, but there have been, I would say several episodes where I stop and rewind it because I'm, I am laughing. I wish I could remember a particular one, but I mean, Harley Quinn, she is nuts and the things that, that she, <laughs> that she doesn't go through. I love seeing Harley and Ivy together. I feel like season two is probably the strongest of the two seasons, which you want, you know, that third season to be really amazing because now you have these two women together and you want to see what that relationship is like. But I felt like that was almost the weakest season. The first one was great because she was getting over the Joker. And then the second one kind of figuring out that relationship and having really high stakes with what was going on. And then the third one was a, a bit of a, it wasn't a, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't the strongest, but I did enjoy it. I think Josh said, you know, the, the style of whatever 2010 or something wouldn't have been able to watch it, which is very true. I, I would not have been able to handle that. I mean, I think she like, she uses a heat gun to, uh, oh yeah, this is, yeah, she uses a heat gun, fireflies heat gun to basically carve a vagina into Mr. Freeze's lair. That was very interesting. I think that was a clip that I had seen before, but out of context, it was like, what's going on here? I love Barbara in it, Batgirl. I think she's great. She is kind of, kind of a sad, like losery type because she doesn't have any friends at college, but I feel like she's like spot on and could potentially be me. And the fact that she doesn't swear or anything, I love that. Her father, that's very interesting. He needs to get his act together, which he does, but he, that, that relationship is, is just kind of crazy. And Josh had asked me like, who, who would each of these characters be? And like the friends are like, who is Josh? Who is Don? And for Josh, I said Clayface 100% just because he's like so dramatic, does crazy things and, and puts on a different persona. And he very much appreciated that answer. I said Don would be Frank if only because you you see a uh, little Frank's veggie peach sometimes. And so that's really all I associate Donovan with now is a, is a peach, juicy, juicy peach. And me, I said I could potentially be Bane because that Valentine's Day special, <laughs> wait a minute, but the Valentine's Day special where he's complaining about online dating, which, yeah, that's a whole thing. And people using improper grammar and using like anyways, and he's getting so frustrated. I was like, you know what? That's accurate. I do also get frustrated with improper grammar in real life, whether it's potential romantic interest or not. But then Josh was concerned. He's like, but you saw what happened at the end of that ballot. And I was like, yes, I will not be fornicating with any buildings. You can put a stop to it if you, if you must, or if you, if you want to give it a shot. But I do. Yes. Depending on. I guess your ability to deal with raunchy things, maybe give it a shot, but it is, it is pretty funny. And oh, one thing I didn't like too much, but it's grown on me a bit is that Joker runs for mayor and Barbara's there in the crowd, like supporting his politics. I'm like, I do not love that. But then as Joker is speaking, I'm like, well, you know, I, I kind of appreciate what he's saying about politics as well. So I don't know if I've become a socialist, if I'm social leaning, who even knows? But anyways, yeah, so at least I'm with Babs. I think Babs very much, she seems very similar to me. If I'm not Bane, I'm definitely Babs for sure. So give that a shot. 
Okay, well, we will move on. I'm actually only doing one issue, basically, for part one and part two. I do have a couple quickies. They're always Nightwing, aren't they? So I think just two issues of Nightwing. Now, okay, if we remember, Nightwing was recently sexually assaulted on a roof. That was in 93. So here we go, 94 and then 95. So 94 August 2004 cover date, the publisher's synopsis says, Road to Nowhere Part 1, Dick Grayson decides to leave Bluehaven for a while, so he takes to the road with a new partner, the beautiful and deadly tarantula. I'm shaking my head. But where will this lead, and what does any of it have to do with the venomous copperhead? So Dick is reeling, this is the problem, Dick is reeling more from the death of Blockbuster which I agree that should happen, than being sexually assaulted. Like, that's not even necessarily on his mind at all. He continues to hang around Tarantula, which, my word, and she is literally hanging all over him. So, again, it's just too much. Though this is, I feel like, more from a lack of will to do anything else rather than a desire to stay with her. So he's very numb and and zombie-ish, but, again, really not addressing that sexual assault. Babs actually calls Dick to report that Blockbuster has been killed and tells him what gun was used, which is one that's tied to to Rangela. And she tells him that he has to find her if only to clear her name, but he doesn't respond. So very awkward issue, to be honest. And I can't even overstate like the level of sexiness that they are putting on tarantula and and all of this stuff that's going on it, it it's portraying her almost like a predator because it's just this guy that's like numb to everything and not doing anything like active or proactive just like walking around and she's all over him it's it made me very uncomfortable to be honest Then we have Nightwing 95, September 2004 cover date, Road to Nowhere Part 2. And now that I'm reading that title again, it reminds me of the Crash Bandicoot. Very tough level called Road to Nowhere. The first one, you should look it up. The world is still spinning for Dick Grayson following the shocking events of his world blockbuster. Will he get his head together in time to save his new partner from certain death? Or will Tarantula take the venom of Copperhead? And again, that Solicit doesn't even talk about, it's just about blockbuster. It's not gonna talking about, oh, and he was raped. So Tarantula, oh my gosh, I forgot about this. Probably want to black it out. Yes, Tarantula and Dick are about to get married. I mean, Why? Why, why, why has this book taken this direction? I mean, this is all so very wrong. She's, again, all over him in this issue. She's basically like one of those villains who somehow convinces the hero to have a fun time with, you know, lots of sexual innuendo. No one understands or knows the hero like they do. Think of Electra and Daredevil and the Netflix show to a certain extent. There's a scene I've seen from Supernatural where Jared Padalecki's character and his wife in real life have the sexy time because she convinces him to do that in a very tarantula sort of way but i think she's also i've never watched that show i've seen like clips and episodes and there was one thing i saw and i was like i can't do this uh but anyways i think she's a demon and he's like disgusted with her but yeah they had the sexy time so it's very bizarre so that's all i i basically uh kind of connected to and then dick gets a call from batman saying that there's some stuff going down which i assume are leading into war games fortunately unfortunately you decide we'll decide later and soon and dick is like super happy i guess because 
there was a great concern. I'm, it was a very strange scene, but there was a concern, obviously, on Dick's part that the killing, like he's going to be rejected. He failed Batman. Batman's going to drop him. So maybe it was like, Oh, well, Batman hasn't dropped me. And so I haven't failed him. And that's why he's happy. Or there's a purpose again. He can get away from Tarantula. I, I, I don't know. It was, it was a strange, strange issue. Okay. We're going to move on to potentially better things, but there's also some weird stuff that goes on here. It's Birds of Prey. And this is 68. And if we see the cover, we have this nondescript guy uh, and the ladies are hanging all over him. Well, I guess that's not true. Huntress is hanging over him, which that should have given me an indi- uh, an indication and a clue as to what was going to go on in this particular issue. And then you have uh, the other ladies. I think in this instance hashtag carolyn does not know because you can in fact see parts basically equal parts of all the ladies legs so that's good now i did think actually that this was ted cord when we were going i just thought oh ted cord issue it's not ted cord it's some guy that we had seen before and i thought we were done with him but we are not so here we go Birds of Prey, number 68 august 2004 cover date one day well chosen writer gail simone Penciler Joe Bennett, inker Rui Jose, <laughs> colors hi-fi. And this comes from the Wikipedia entry. Yes. Okay. The birds are out together, taking a day off. Helena Bertinelli and Barbara Gordon get into an argument and Helena ends up leaving. Dinah Laurel Lance drops off Barbara at James Gordon's place. And the two Gordons have a father-daughter dinner at a sushi place. And he offers her some advice. On the JLA satellite, Wonder Woman and Black Canary start a sparring session. Remember, Black Canary has has really been getting into the training. Wonder Woman tells Canary that if she can get past the Amazon's defenses, Wonder Woman owes her favor. But if she can't breach Wonder Woman's defenses, then Canary joins the JLA. And Canary does manage to get through Wonder Woman's defenses and they call an end to the sparring and kind of helps her work some things out as well. Once Dinah gets back together with Babs after the the Gordon dinner. Barbara ends up bringing her to a shop that she's purchased or leased, and it can be a flower shop. So the intention is that she wants the birds basically to have two lives. She wants them to have a hero life as well as a life life. And so this is her start for that. And then Huntress goes on a date with a guy named Josh. You remember Josh? Where she owed him that date because he gave her some information and it's a very bizarre date because she's like okay you know I'll wear this costume we'll go out no touching and then we see that she is doing some batman tactics and dropping him from the building as if that's a way to stop the date from happening and then he it a tarantula sort of way but there is like innuendo and he's really as if he were a guy at a bar i suppose and really trying to hit up the girl and you think that this is probably not going to work obviously for huntress she's she's too good for this but she does end up sleeping with him so we'll we'll talk about that and then <laughs> but her mask stays on which i think was one of those new 52 issues at the very beginning the mask stayed on but the costume stayed on can't remember and at the very end, Helena gets a call while she's still in bed with Josh that there is a new mission and she is about to be a teacher. So, okay. Well, oh my gosh. My first comment is in fact, WTF, what is Dino wearing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I guess one could call it a crop top, but I feel like nothing is left to the imagination. And all the ladies are well endowed. Luckily, which I don't know what that says. I don't know. Like, what's going on here? So is this characterization that, oh, yes, that's Babs. She's just going to dress kind of frumpy-ish. Her legs are completely covered. She has on a T-shirt. I don't love the color. She has flats. I don't love the color coordination of her outfit. We only have Dinah over here showing lots of skin and the boobages. And then we have Helena, which is kind of in between, but uh, mostly tasteful dress, I guess. It's like halfway up the thigh and got some cleavage there. So she is in between, I would say, Dinah and and Babs. But I, yeah, I don't know what that says about Barbara. I mean, if that's a character choice, that's one thing. But is it all? Are you also subliminally telling us something about uh, people in wheelchairs that you know they can't dress attractively? So interesting. That meaty Brian. Let's see. Some of these I have some. <laughs> oh, 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 yes. Okay. There is a typo. Sorry. I was like, I don't even know what that means. So Don at one point says, okay, Babs, don't think I don't appreciate the change in scenery, but what's on that meaty Brian of yours? And I'm pretty sure I did look at it because sometimes dyslexia does happen. It should have been brain, but it does say meaty Brian. I love the fact that Babs, how quickly she has acclimated to Helena in particular, but she says, hey, can a shadowy mastermind take her two favorite agents for a well-deserved day off from being shot at and beaten up? So Helena has come far. She's certainly risen through the ranks of private opinion, I guess, on Barbara's term very quickly. The Wiener Station guy thought Dinah was Power Girl. My thought was, I wonder why. <laughs> guy thought I was Power Girl. I should have belted him. I mean, I'm looking at what you're wearing, Dinah. So that, that could be the reason why that's happening. There are something. So this whole sort of get together is, I think, really creating a foundation for this team. It's no pressure time, you know, where we, we've got two agents in the field. We have Babs that, who is running ops. They're just enjoying time out, but it's time to like, let's debrief and, and how can we have a strong, capable, efficient team? And so she offers up, you know, time for each of them to say something. One point, who says this? I'm pretty sure it was Dinah. Oh, no, I guess it was Babs. We've had to make some rough decisions in the field, which is just poor management. Uh, And she does say before that we've been under the gun nonstop for some time now, which is what I had said. But it's interesting that she says that, you know, making decisions in the field is poor management. I feel like that is... I don't agree with that statement because I think a team should be prepared for that to occur. You can go in and definitely I think the birds do. And and in particular, Barbara being that leader and being the super intelligent leader that she is goes in with multiple plans, most likely. But as anyone knows, whether they're in the military or even just like a teacher, for instance, you go in with your plan and anything can happen to make you change and shift gears in the moment. And so I don't think that that is poor management at all. She can have A, B, and C plans, and then somebody comes up or, you know, a guard is on duty who wasn't supposed to be doing it, and then you got to change it. So that that was an interesting statement. The discussion turns to Savant. Dinah wonders, you know, why isn't he in jail? And Barbara says, I may have made a mistake. It's not a call I'm proud of. We needed his help to nail a much bigger fish. So I made a deal to bring him in 
a bit anyway. And I wondered whether it is, as she calls it, a mistake, or would she undoubtedly do it again? And I think with Barbara, and we've seen in this particular run that she has been doing some questionable things, that that is probably something she would do. There was no alternative. Again, she had probably plans A, B, and C, and things happened in the field that she did not foresee. She had to make that judgment call. So I feel like it's not a mistake. I think she should call it something like that was a judgment call that I had to make and I would make it again. And yes, we need to be careful of him, but this is what we're dealing with now. You can't change it. it. It's just as it is. I do like that Helena actually, she goes for it and she tries to clear the air about sleeping with Nightwing, which is pretty bold. Uh, I didn't know you dot, dot, dot. And second, you weren't together at the time, right? Question mark. But she, which is interesting because again, we're on this and and even Dinah says uh ixnay on the eight wing nay helena barbara does get upset and i think we're just in this era and this is seems to be a theme with this and and i disagree with some people who who believe that yeah she would be upset at helena being you know sleeping with nightwing which i agree she does not like it but i don't think that's like a primary motivating factor for her to dislike her as much as she did but it is good if we're starting this new era in this team and really wanting to be a team and all facets of that word, then yes, we need to clear the air. So good on Helena. But Barbara's words are certainly harsh, right? We're not together anymore. You ever want to be part of a cheap, meaningless little one night stand again? Be my guest. And then it just, yeah. Helena does talk about being a teacher, which I appreciated. This is something that Tom and I have actually discussed. She says, school administrators take a dim view of teachers who miss days and then show up with broken bones and black eyes. And now no school will touch me. And that was something that she, yeah, she said more than anything in my life, I want to be a teacher. So I, I think Helena might not be going about this in the right way, but I think that I certainly have a lot of empathy for her in here where she's trying to own up to her behavior and also show the birds who she is. And also I feel like Helena is being slut shamed to a certain extent. Dinah says what happened, it's history. And Barbara says, yeah, Dinah, it's history. Did she mention to you that she slept with Arsenal recently? And that gets Dinah upset. So Barbara, I feel like that was inappropriate to do. She's just trying to get, which, oh my gosh, if you're trying to get the team, this is not the way to go about it. And it's like, is this really the easy way to get to Babs is to say something about Dick and then she goes off and is a completely different character? I don't know what I think about, and I don't think I like it, that that is how Barbara is portrayed, that it's just that one string you can pull and she turns into this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde sort of situation. But yeah, it just seems like, you know, I feel like Dinah sleeps around. Barbara, not so much. I was, she's not portrayed as sleeping around. I'm sure she's had relations with Jason Bard and, you know, other people. But, you know, all of a sudden, Helena is like, these, all these people that she's slept with are being brought to the fore. And it, it seems like there's negative connotation there. So it's unfortunate. I did enjoy the talk between Babs and Jim. She was, she's relating his life to the, the ladies. But he says, if you really want to help your friends, find some way to remind them that they have to build a life outside of the uniform. And so she takes that with her. And, and I think that that's really strong. But that's a it's a good scene. It's just one page, really, of them talking. But I feel like it's it is surprising that Babs is the one telling Dinah that they need to give Helen a break and not the other way around, since that is generally the breakdown of roles. And also, 
Baz was the one who got upset first. So I think we just need to lay off Helena and not try to have this unnecessary drama in this book. And hopefully this is like the last time we can move on. Let's please do it. We don't need a soap opera here. Let's have these women getting around instead of having catty behavior. Oh, okay, Josh. Yes, Josh, I thought she had that date already. In fact, I remember her saying at one point, quote, I have a date, but you know, here we are. This guy reminds me of Upchuck. Oh my gosh, I forgot about this, where she's trying on all these outfits. Oh, my word, kind of goes through an era of Huntress or all the eras in Huntress, but just, yeah, a bit nuts. But yeah, this guy reminds me of Upchuck. I don't know if there's a good Upchuck from... Daria, his real name is Charles, I guess. But no, he just really kind of looks like him. He acts like him, kind of a giggity giggity sort of way, that guy from Family Guy as well. But, you know, I don't know what she's trying to do, dropping him from the building. You said you wanted the full meal deal. What What is that supposed to do? <laughs> what is the purpose of this? I don't know. She's treating him like a perp, I guess. So it's almost as if this were an interesting dating app between heroes, people who want to be treated like villains. So it's like a a kink of some sort. And I don't think he asked for it, but I guess it's a way for her to to get him to back down. I don't know. But then (laughs) OMG and you and WTF, she ends up sleeping with him, which I did not expect at all. And she even says, you know, the goddess is harsh but fair. And maybe after we could. And she says, you know. And then basically next we see she's waking up in bed with this guy. I don't know where she got that nighty from. Actually, I think it's the sheet. And also, I don't think that gravity is um, working on the tatas there. But she did keep her mask on. Everything else is gone but her mask. But seriously, why? Why, why, why? I love the gesture of Babs giving Dinah a space for a flower shop. And included that is is time to be away from the squad, which is what Jim Gordon had suggested. And I'm wondering, which we don't really get to see, but I wonder what Babs will do for Helena in that same aspect or regard. And isn't it ironic that as Helena talks about her joy of teaching and her in inability to do so because of circumstances that she ends up on a mission where her identity is in fact a teacher and those kids in particular the guys seem like you know we've got a a hot teacher there so this should be fun for a little bit wonder woman at one point mentions that she doesn't know huntress that well which i thought was a quizzical statement because They were on the Justice League. They were on JLA together when written by Grant Morrison, right? I mean, I was on the show talking about that with Tom Panarese. Now, can I remember if they went on particular missions together? I cannot tell you that. However, being on a team, you'd think that you would know your teammate a little bit. You know, even if they weren't like best pals, Wonder Woman of all people, I think would probably want to and would definitely get a good idea of who her teammates are and and whether she can trust them just in general and on the battlefield. So very interesting. So this was, is a one shot, really an interstitial piece. We're leading up to, gosh, I think like the next arc is six issues or so, but I don't consider it to be a filler. As a conversation between these women, I think 
that it needed to happen. You know, maybe not these particular conversations, especially when we get off track about who slept with whom. The Huntress Josh stuff was definitely unnecessary. And I don't know what we're actually supposed to think of Huntress after that. Like the slut shaming came true. I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess she has the freedom to sleep around. I don't know why we're slut shaming her, but I like that Babs is getting advice from her father. And we continue to circle back to the original team and strong friendship of Oracle and Black Canary. This is very much a reset after, yes, the insanity and all the gun toting and the action and the go, go, go. We're resetting. We are now officially a team. Everyone knows everyone's identities. We need to find a balance between how we work together as a team, whether there is friendship, what your side life is like. And I think that was the purpose of this. And while some conversations were necessary and successful, Others might not have been, but I think overall it was a good issue. The art, you know, is pretty, but I have questions about garbs as well as gravity and its effect on certain body parts. I'm going to give this eight out of 10 romps in the sack with Huntress. It's not many people survive those romps, but maybe Josh Jen, I don't know. His head was on the pillow. So there you go. Next month, I will be doing a Batgirl story. I think I should have a guest star and it'll be Batgirl with, (gasps) I think, Stephanie Brown as Robin, which is exciting. But also, yes, we are getting closer to War Games. I believe that this summer, the summer blockbuster will, in fact, be War Games. So just stay tuned to that. Okay, well, next up and finally on this segment, it is listener emails. Mail time. Fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. I actually don't have any emails this time around, but I do have some comments from the YouTube video. The first comment on part one of episode 230 came from me. I said, I made a mistake. The exam was 17 pages long. I don't know why I said 13, which is true. I think I talked about that class that's still nuts it's still nuts by the way and said that the third weekend we had a 13 page exam it was 17 which seems like i'm exaggerating or lying but i promise that i'm not in fact i could even pull it up and screen share what it looks like unfortunately there's a final exam in that class i thought maybe we'd be safe from it because there's a portfolio that's due at the end of class so i thought oh final project no final no final exam with that but yes i don't know if it's gonna be 17 pages as well or even more but it's it, that's a nuts class. Hornacek also wrote and said it wasn't the issue title, but the cover to Batgirl 51 had In the Garden of Good and Evil written on it, which made me think about the 1997 film Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, which is based on a book where a man is put on trial in Savannah, Georgia for the murder of a male prostitute and his lover. Been a while since I saw it, but I didn't remember any similarities to the comic plot you described. Maybe they just liked the title for the cover. Perhaps. I recall that very compelling, I would say, title. I've actually never seen that. And I feel like I should watch that film because I do recall that particular title. And you would know better than I whether there are similarities because I do I've not seen it. And then finally on that particular part, Shana, my Earth 2 BFF, writes in says, Stella, you can have my snow. I have had four snowstorms in the last two weeks. Please take it. I don't want any more. Listen, I will gladly take that snow from you. I'll take it right now. It's only March 23rd. Please. Bring it to me. Okay. And then part two 
let's see here. Oh, wow. There are a bunch of comments. I commented again just because I <laughs> messed up a couple times. Maybe it was, I guess it was my poor attitude when I was recording. But number one, I said I was remiss not to add to my rant about the Lazarus formula that I think we missed out on what this conversation could have been if he hadn't been quote unquote high. Yes. So I think a lot of this, the discussion in that bad girls number 15 was the fact that was this the conversation that I was expecting and looking for and what we deserve between Arthur and his daughter? And because uh, if we're under the assumption that he was still insane because of the Lazarus formula and that's why he was acting that way, then I, I think we did an opportunity was missed where what would have been like to have this conversation between a clear headed Arthur and his daughter. And I think that that might've been more point emotional. And then number two, uh, when in my literature recommendations, I made a distinction between queer romance and I called it regular romance. And so I just wanted to apologize about that. Uh, and I said, that's some internalized homophobia right there. I should have said, which I later did, queer versus het romance. And so I am sorry about that. That was just like, you came in the regular queer romance and het romance. Shana writes again and says, I recommend Conversations with Friends by Sally Rooney. If you haven't read that one yet, I think that everything that woman writes is incredible. And I will mention that actually because I, that's on my literature recommendations this week. Enigma. Oh, I haven't heard from that person in a while. Enigma says, yeah, the writers made sure to have the cheats this issue with Coolmaster. They said that he was both dead for a long period of time and the Lazarus resin was more untested than the one Castle last issue. So it set up all that Cluemaster did for this issue and looking at the ending, maybe Arthur recovers question mark. Then again, he recovered at the end of Backer Volume 3 and look where that got him. Horn a sec. <laughs> Hornacek says, uh, maybe it's because I've been watching slash playing The Last of Us a lot, but when Stephanie's dad shot her and then tried to, sh- oh gosh, shoot himself, I got some Henry Sam vibes, even though those two are brothers and the shootings of the children have different. That's a good point. Yeah, like what have I done sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Because in the moment for both of those situations, it was like there was nothing else. Well, there's nothing else that Henry could have done, but for... Arthur, that was certainly like a knee jerk reaction. And then realizing, oh my gosh, what have I done? And then doing that. Absolutely. Horsick then says, fly on. Lovers first flub of this line in 230 episodes. It's not first flub, maybe on video and I can't edit it, but don't worry. I've, I've flubbed it before. So I guess the lesson here is if you want Stella to give a back rolls issue a great review, remove all the dialogue and make it a silent issue. <laughs> and then, uh, smiley face emoticon, maybe. Maybe, but those are hard to write and it's all, which I talked about that. It's all on the artist and you have to be intentional about everything and make it absolutely clear because you are showing and not telling. And so I feel like that was the hardest issue to write and it was the most powerful and the the best but here we are. And then Donovan says, I both agree and disagree with your take on Backrolls 15. The fact of it is, and this stems from books I haven't read either, Arthur Brown was very strongly stated to have a big time, uh, to have big time died, then brought back wrong, wrongly, by the Lazarus Pit. Like, the point is made that he is not in his right mind, and his character is totally off his rocker throughout the story. I agree that he's written wildly different, but the writers have a cheat in that he's meant to be. Steph doesn't bring this up because she's always hated her dad. 
which is where my disagreement comes from, and that we were denied some representation of a, quote, loving relationship. In all my days, I've never seen anything of the sort between these two or from these two, with Steph's entire reason for being spoiler and later back row being a rejection of her father. That's what she and Cassandra have in common, but in comparison, David Keane's love for Cass is far more complex and that it's objectively abusive, but not intentionally. Ian Miller can write me up on this if I get it wrong, but in Robin number 15 through 16, if I recall correctly, Arthur Brown told Robin that Stephanie had been kidnapped by his enemies, but it turned out to be a trap by Brown himself and he and his goons organized the kidnapping. He's not a good guy. I never said he was a good guy, but I did say that he'd never physically harmed. But that's not what you were arguing. Your point is the insane uptick in the violence he inflicts upon Stephanie, and I understand the disconnect. I think the writers, or the powers that be, wanted a two-dimensional good guy, bad guy face-off and make Crewmaster as deranged as they could just to make Steph more sympathetic and heroic. For me, it rings too easy, not contending with the complicated feelings they have towards each other, and that Brown isn't a psychopath. He was legitimately cured of his obsession with clues and just became a blue-collar villain akin to the Flash's road. Having him be all wacky here with crazy smiles, electrodes and such is too unsubtle to properly reflect their history. I get how they got there, but I also see it as cheating, which that seems to be the word of the day with with people saying these cheats. My biggest question about this issue was that (laughs) the apparent lack of body armor on Batgirl's costumes. I know you went off on this during Cassandra's early series, but in 2023, they seriously don't have anything shielding their chests. Did Barbara not think to add that? I kept doing a double take when I got to that part. It's hard to buy in this day and age. I, I agree with you there. Babs. Oh, well, maybe Stefan Cassandra will kill, kill in the next arc. And then he does some, some shruggins. Yes. And then I think, did someone respond to him? And then I don't know. Oh, oh, okay. Maybe because Sandra and Steph will kill. He meant it as kids, which we're, boy, are we getting close. I will talk about that, but I'm going to take a break before that happens. When I come back, I will cover. Oh, and, and thank you. Thank you for writing in. If you post on YouTube, I get a ping. I also check those and you can always write in to Oracle at gmail.com. But yes, I am going to take a break. When I come back, I will go through some modern quickies featuring Nightwing and then do a full review of Batgirls number 16. So we are four and counting until I, oh my, what am I going to do? I won't have any modern tales. <gasps> the episodes will be half as long. Oh my word. But anyways, I'm going to take a break. We're going to do some Zias's radio hour and it is featuring Monster by Imagine Dragons. See you soon.
Can I clear my conscience If I'm different from the rest Do I have to run and hide I never said that I want this This burden came to me And it's made its home inside Welcome back. We'll be doing some bad girls, but first just talking about uh, Nightwing. So I didn't do 101 last month. So I'll just talk about 101 and 102 with 101. My gosh, the publisher synopsis are just so wrong, but basically Teen Titans, there's Lord Neuron. He wants black blockbusters daughter's soul. And all I have to say about this is listen to Batgirl Oracle episode 117 guest starring shag, where we talk about underworld unleashed because it seems to be circling around to that. And then also Nightwing 102, Dick gets knocked out by a smiling man and Dick is left in a morgue and the smiling man pretends to be Dick. And that man goes after Olivia and the Titans and then they all fight him. And we find out about the smiling man. I will say that it is funny how, because Barbara just appears really in a couple panels. Oh, cause he's in the freezer and, or he had just left the freezer. I think it was. And then calls her, and ass, I think, where Olivia is, where the Titans are. But anyways, Barbara snuggles that dog at night as if it were a cat. I don't know that dogs do. It seemed more cat behavior than dog behavior to be snuggled that way. But anyways, 
I just love that she's snuggling that pet. They're basically joint child. Okay, so we are doing Batgirls number 16. If we look at this cover here, we have a hat and just see a glimpse of the Mad Hatter's face behind that. Falling out of the hat are some tea paraphernalia as well as Kaz and Steph in their Batgirls outfit got some playing cards got the staffs that the playing cards would use and then mad hatter spills the tea i wonder i guess that still use that phraseology but i remember when that was huge like pre-covid maybe it was 2019 was when the the tea was was rather big but anyways here we go so back rolls number 16 everyone's mad here Story, Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad. Art, Neil Gouge. Finishes, pages 16 through 22. We've got Geraldo Borges and Colors, Rico Renzi. So the letter that Grace O'Halloran received at the end of the previous issue was actually meant for the back rolls. And the writer was probably hoping that she would read it on air, but that doesn't happen. And there's no explanation for the bloody bust that was also left there, but we'll, I suppose, ignore it. The letter was given to the GCPD who sat on it for a few weeks before Officer Brooks convinced Montoya to hand it over to the Batgirls. Now, it is an invitation from the Mad Hatter for a tea party for the next full moon. So, boy, it's lucky that this must have been given at the new moon or something because they sat on it for several weeks. They just have to follow the white rabbit, which seems to be a confusing idea for some, even though it literally means follow the white rabbit. I mean, I was confused because they're confused. And there are some stencils on throughout the city. Oracle is running ops. And as the Batgirls burst into a warehouse after, again, having followed some white rabbit stencils, they come to a room filled with Bat family and adjacent automatons built by Mr. Green, RIP. And there's also a phonograph there, which is speaking to them with Mad Hatter's voice. The phonograph speaks some crazy things and the automatons attack after the Batgirls finish them all off and find out from Oracle that the frequency of the speaker is coming from an upper level of that warehouse. They uh, go to closer to the phonograph. A drawer opens on the phonograph with a drink me bottle and Cass tells Steph, because apparently Steph is an imbecile, not to drink the bottle, even though Steph wasn't going to. But she's suddenly gassed with the toxin that comes from the phonograph, and she's turned into a man bat. And, I mean, this is some um, Barbara Gordon as a snake stuff right here. Babs can get an antidote from Bruce, but Cass has to control Steph until that can happen. And as Steph Bat rages out, Cass decides to calm her down by speaking to their relationship and knowledge of each other and that they no longer are alone because they have each other. And also, according to the Purple Boxes, we only uncover who we truly are when we fall down a rabbit hole. Mm. So Steph Bat flies upward through the building because, well, she's now calm Steph Bat, I should say. So she flies upward through the building. She grabs Cass with her dainty toes, her talons, and they find Mad Hatter. Now he's spouting out some madness and they kind of try to figure out his motivation, but there's really no point. Cass knocks him out after solving a riddle and on his way to custody, he makes some observations and judgments about Officer Brooks, his time in the military and its effects. I don't know what the point of that whole thing was, but, you know, I suppose we're learning more about Officer Brooks and maybe it'll circle back around in the next three issues. Who even knows? Babs 
as Batgirl is outside the clock tower with a sniper rifle ready to shoot Steph Bat with an antidote. Yes, it kind of seems like she's about to kill her, but we're not playing Ghost Recon or anything. But Cass, riding atop of her, says that she doesn't need to do that, and Steph Bat just needs some time to let it out. She's not a monster, which, you know, is a statement that Bat begrudgingly agrees to, which, you know, seriously, who was even saying that Steph was a monster? I mean, literally, she is a monstrous looking thing but it's not like she's going nuts and destroying the city so they fly around Cass promises never to leave Steph and she even stays by her side the whole 12 hours that Steph sleeps once the antidote is administered and then the end the end okay so I guess if we just go through it's one of the I feel like I'm writing less and less on this particular book I don't know. Uh, I have lots of thoughts that are going on, but it's just like it's not transferring to my document. But we'll go through. This is a whole weird setup with the letter, the bus being ignored. Why is the GCBD sitting on this? Why didn't Grace give it or talk to the Batgirls? Because we know that Grace likes them and trusts them and kind of has like a relationship with it. And we know the press sometimes has relationships with different people. I don't know why she went to the GCPD necessarily and didn't just go to the Batgirls. It seems like, was there a fraction of the relationship we didn't see? So that was something that uh, I didn't necessarily understand. I don't know why it's like an aha moment that Steph has. Follow the White Rabbit, of course. What? I don't know. It's like, it's clearly, yeah, don't be late. Follow the white rabbit. Yes, actually the white rabbit. I don't know. It's like a weird piece that was like unnecessary. And then why, what, what is Stephanie? Like, what is this aha moment that she didn't realize what was actually being said? Literally, you're going to follow the white rabbit. Wasn't like a matrix situation where Neo is looking at the computer and then that's his follow the white rabbit. And then he sees a woman with a tattoo was it on her shoulder, I think, um, and, and follows that. Donovan made a point of like Stephanie is saying weird things. So maybe it's just another thing because she says at one point, how's the body cam look? Are you seeing these sick moves? I don't know. The, the big theme of what I'm about to talk about is is kind of the, the Steph situation. Because my gr- biggest grievance here is oh and like i said the adjacent it's weird to see why is red robin there why isn't it some other form of robin i feel like that's a bit strange and who else did i see batman it's interesting that harley and ivy are there but i guess we are considering them are they a part of the bat family now i think they're like anti-heroes but I don't know why they were built as automatons there. This is my biggest grievance, I think. First of all, I, I like that fight scene. I think they do a good job. There's no point to the drink me business, but, oh, cast and tell her. Bab says, whatever you do, don't drink it. And that seems like so obvious to me that if you have to say that to one of your operatives in the field, that operative should not be in the field, okay? Or is this still like, let's rag on Stephanie? So, I mean, even Stephanie says, yuck, I would never. Um, She's smarter than that. Why would she drink that? Why would that even be a consideration? Why would Babs think that that would be a consideration? But then here we go. She Stephanie, again, gets dosed with something. I do not understand what is with the hate, I feel like, or the hang up on Stephanie. And why is why has it always got to be her? So she's the one that had the issue with... 
whatever that guy was, Spellbinder and the artist guy, like it, she's the one who was affected, not Cass. It seems like she makes the, the mistakes. She's the one who fails constantly. She's the weak link of the team. And here we go. We've got four issues left here. Another thing happens. I don't, also don't know, you know, back to that vial. I don't understand what the point of that necessarily was, except to make Stephanie seem dumb because I, I don't even, did they bring it back to be analyzed? Because we don't, we don't see it again. Stephanie Brown turning into Steph Bat. I had a conversation with Donovan about this particular issue. I, I actually, for the first time probably in this entire run, read it before he did and was just so hung up on her being dosed that he he was making some good comments that he said, you know, it would have been more compelling to have Cass wreak havoc and, and being the man bat. And the one time I think that there, there might be only two pages that we have the purple boxes. It's a lot of telling and not showing. She doesn't seek perfection, never has. She wants only to discover herself. Are these things true of Stephanie? I don't know. Some find inner truth through meditation, cutting through the noise to achieve it. Others seek a sounding board. Friends who reflect, evaluate, advise. Sometimes, just sometimes, we only uncover who we truly are when we fall down a rabbit hole. So this is like supposed to help Stephanie. I mean, how many times has Stephanie been reaching enlightenment in this particular book? There's, yeah, there's a lot going on. I mean, the biggest takeaway, I think, from this particular issue is really how we're pushing this friendship. And I don't know if we're we're borderline a a romantic relationship. I don't know if they're going to pull the trigger by 19 or on 19, but we're we're pushing something here. And um, again, yeah, we're just seeing like, what is this? But I don't know. I, I just really didn't like this. Like, it's great that Cass is talking her down and, you know, Cass talks about basically them the fact that they're so close and that they know each other like no one else knows each other and they're there for each other and perhaps they are the two against the world this is what calms stephanie down that's a really beautiful thing but did it have to be stephanie could it not have been someone else the letter you know that we got it's just this weird tension that's going on and also i feel like now we're just repeating ourselves mad hatter a question that i had just when I was reading Mad Hatter and what Mad Hatter was doing, it felt just like I was reading the Joker, his constant talk of chaos. I didn't understand his motivation. I don't think the Batgirls understood the motivation. I don't know if the writers knew what the motivation was. Like, what's the point of this? This is one issue, actually. So I I don't know that we even get there. Donovan says, no, like this seems in line with this character. So then I would just have to do, I think, an evaluation of the differences between Joker and Mad Hatter and even Riddler and see like where, what are their modus, uh, what would it be? Would it be modi operandi? I guess so. What are their modi operandi and kind of what is the distinction between the three of them? Because I just felt like I was right. I was reading Joker, but with a Mad Hatter mask on him. Don't understand. I think in my synopsis, I snarkily said, yeah, what is the point of this? I mean, that's a very Joker thing to do as well. Just like get in the head of somebody. And, you know, are we getting closer with Officer Brooks before this issue, this story, this book is canceled? I have no idea. Is this going to come back to us? I don't know. Will I remember this Chekhov's gun? I have no idea. And this was a bit nuts. And just in the fact that she's got this, Babs has this rifle and she is about to shoot down Stephanie because she's a monster. She's not a monster. She's our friend. 
Donovan does say it's a cool visual, which I do agree. That's a pretty awesome page right there, especially the the top where she is outside, I guess, the, the clock tower or maybe just the cathedral. And then you also see through the scope, Steph Bat and, and Cass riding her. But then we have, again, this section, just again, we're pushing, we're pushing the romantic boundaries and riding atop of her and um, smuggling in that last panel there, staying with her for 12 hours. We're pushing something. Can we say this is still friendship? Yes, absolutely. But I think we have, and this is something that I've learned recently. I think we're borderline. We're not even borderline. We're in a queer platonic relationship, which I have learned recently. Queer platonic and just, I feel like you can, and I think this is true of like the podcast I was listening to, but if you attach basically queer to other words, uh, it basically changes the original definition from like a head from a lens or a viewpoint of like heteronormativity to like oh well this has now we've like changed the perspective of it so if platonic is this idea that there's no romance at all and you're just friends kind of thing then queer platonic is like you are friends but it, it also like edges into and bleeds into other territories like you're very um you could be close to other things you never make that move maybe necessarily but it's also you have a distinct relationship or friendship than you do with other like platonic friends for example i would consider myself and donovan to have a queer platonic relationship because we are very close and i think there are like could be hints of romance but we'll we'll never pull that trigger um you know i objectify him and he he knows that i objectify him both behind his back on this show uh and in person on social media so that's like for me i think a, a queer platonic relationship so I think that Cass and Steph are in that queer platonic relationship as well because we can interpret many of the scenes in here and the art that's been going around, uh, the covers and things like that, uh, you know, as queer platonic because yes, they're close friends. You know, maybe this could be an innocent thing, but it's also like borderline that you step a little too far and, and we have a relationship. This was another part where Donovan said, show, don't tell, because you could have had a nice scene there of, oh my gosh, of Steph being asleep, you know, and Cass staying by her side, but instead the, the purple boxes appear and just the fact that Cass stayed with her and as she slept, she dreamt of flying and apparently... All Steph needed to do was burn off some steam and fly around, which again, is that the character that we know? Is that a proper interpretation of the character? It's very, very interesting. So I don't know what the point of this story was, really. Was it to deepen the relationship between Cass and Steph? And it feels like, you know, if that was the point, then I guess there's maybe some success. But it feels like also we're just retrotting things. We know they're close. We know that they feel like they only have each other and they only they understand each other the best. And they've shared secrets and they have this history with parents that's toxic that they share, too. So it's just like, well, we're doing that again, but we'll look at it in a different way by making Steph into a creature. The talking of uh, about dreams, calming the beast down, riding on said beast, snuggling on or standing vigil while she sleeps. I think this is all because, yeah, she had that dream cast talking about. I think we're we're just pushing pushing the boundaries here. So I guess the point is to see this. I don't know why Steph is, again, the person that needs to 
have a run in and be the weak link and have issues. Um, I feel like we, we should move on from that, but there we are. But other than that, yeah, I just don't understand. Like, what was the Mad Hatter really doing? Was just, what is the Mad Hatter doing anyways? Wasn't he out and about in other books? And like, I guess maybe he had to be brought in here, but did he really? And now we have, we have four issues and we're wasting our time on this where nothing really happened. Yeah, I don't know. So I didn't even give it a grade when I was originally writing this down. I really don't. I mean, it's like, it feels like a six. It feels not good. Okay. <laughs> I said this felt like the weakest one to Don. And he's like, I don't know if it's the weakest one. It's hard when you have to go through and think about 15 other issues. I mean, it doesn't seem very good. So I'll just give it a six out of 10 cup nudes. And one can only hope that the next three we reach some sort of conclusion and also it's it's better than that kind of stuff. Okay. Anime watch list? No, though I did recently buy Fruits Basket Prelude, the movie. So I am interested in watching that. We'll get to that. I'm very busy. I am going to see the home opener of the North Carolina Courage versus the Casey Current. And that's on Saturday. And then I've got, yeah, I've got some deadlines coming up. I am a bit ahead in both of my classes, which is nice. And it's mainly because the nuts class, she opened up a module and there's a lot of work, but she said, don't worry, you have two weeks because you have spring break. And I thought that's not what spring break is. So I pounded all of that stuff out in like two days before spring break. And it was UVAs because I haven't had my work spring break yet. And then I was like a week ahead because she opened something else up. So I'm ahead in that one. I'm ahead in the other class and I need to stay as much ahead as possible. But when they only open up a week at a time, it's kind of hard so that my spring break, which is in a couple weeks, but I really needed to because there, I've got some deadlines this weekend. So I dropped off my midterm assignment for my literacy class, like the beginning of the week because I was done and with it probably last week I just had to edit it and then this one I was ahead to I'm just waiting actually on my partner to send me her stuff because I have to comment on that and that's due tonight who knows if she sent it in all that to say I'm seeing that home opener because I had to do some work and everything okay so what's your recommendations let's do it Romeo and Juliet I think I already talked about that because it's coming out uh, with Tom. I think I talked about Perspective, which is probably the last queer romance that I read. Oh, yes. Okay. Conversations with Friends by Sally Rooney. I finished it. Shane and I have had some conversations via email about this because she very much loves this book. It was okay. Like, I feel like it's a good book. I didn't enjoy it as much as normal people. And it's mainly because I did not find any of the characters likable. However, I will say that these characters, while not likable, are realistic. I think they have real people flaws, which is, I think, something that Sally Rooney does well. Just that she does not make her characters glamorous and that um, like wish fulfillment thing. It's not. It's like normal everyday people who are making dumb decisions, things like that. The lead character, Frances, I liked her the least. At first, I liked Bobby the least. And then when Frances started having romantic relations with Nick, I really did not like Frances. The ending, which was something that Shana had told me that, like, you kind of have to look at a big picture because it's true. There are all these things that are going on. But once you reach the end and Francis like really opens up and is honest and genuine, you can then look back at all these other moments and like, okay, now I better understand what that character was doing. I had some fears when I was reading this because 
number one, Sally Rooney doesn't use quotes. It's just like these people are talking or almost indirect statement style. And so you just have to follow along. But the way that it's on paper, the things that Francis is saying are very harsh. Like at one point she says to Nick, you know, do you even have a personality? And, and like she, in the television series, you know, she jokes at that, but even he like makes a face. And I think to myself, as I'm reading this, oh my gosh, you know, I say things similarly to that. Like I joke around and tease people on paper. What I would say to people would seem really mean. And so like, I wrote to a friend and I said, oh my gosh, I'm worried that I'm unkind like Francis. And she wrote back and said, you are nothing like Francis. So hopefully that's true. But I think it's, so I've been like trying to be more genuine <laughs> to people and say like something, something kind that I mean, because I do like to joke around. I I also joke that uh, criticism is my love language. So I just need to be cautious. And I think it depends on the relationship that you have. If I look at it as a the whole book as a love story between Bobby and Francis. I think that there's like a different angle to that because they do get together at the end. It's very confusing what that relationship is like. Like it, it took me probably 50 pages to realize that they weren't together, but they had been together, but they weren't currently. Um, but once they get together, it's like, oh, wow, there was like love. That's what I was queer platonic. Um, there was love there that entire time. And so I visioned that differently, but I, I didn't like how the novel necessarily ends. And the final thing I will say is that I'm very appreciative of Francis having, which I do feel for her, endometriosis, which is, what was it? It's that, is it the uterine lining grows outside of, or something grows outside of the uterus now? I've forgotten. I can always look this up as this is happening. But um, some people just describe it as like really intense period pain, which is... Let's see, this is a disorder in which the tissue, there you go. I was right. That normally lines the uterus grows outside of it. Ooh, my word. And I had heard someone recently talk about this. Leah Williamson, who is captain of the England lionesses. She is backline of the arsenal. And she was saying how she has endometriosis and she like described it as like really bad period pain. And then when you watch this, well, when you read it and then when you also see the show, you're like, oh my gosh, it's really bad. And I have my times that it's, it's not good. I am usually popping the suggested 24 hour amount of ibuprofen each, uh, each time I have my period, um, because I do have cramps. I think there's only once or twice. And once I would say is the worst. And I remember what I was doing. I was in a school. It was probably like 10, 11 at night. We we're working on a project. This was second year second semester. I can imagine where my desk was. I was working on topography and cutting stuff up and putting together a model. And I thought I was going to pass out. I thought I was going to throw up and pass out and had to like, I think I spent a long time in the bathroom. So if that's like, that was one time, that was one time. And just to think that this happens to somebody every month is just nuts. But I applaud Sally Rooney for having a character because I don't think I've ever seen a character that I mean, I've brought up periods a lot, and Tom has talked about them with me as well. But I don't think I've ever seen a character with endometriosis, and just bringing, I think, attention to that, and that this is a real thing that people have to deal with, um, and and seeing that from Francis, and not having that be dramatized at all, but and then thinking about Leah Williamson, and like, oh my gosh, 
how could you be on a pitch and do that? Because just because you have your period is, doesn't mean that you're going to be, you are not going to play again. So that's just nuts to me, but I'm appreciative that we do that. So yeah, look that up. Cause you know, if we're not already doing something, there we go. Uh, lucky in lace act. Oh, a queer romance by Melissa Braden. I actually recommend this because, um, she actually had in her, beginning how like this is a character she's not written before because someone like got out of prison the the first chapter and i was like oh my gosh this is a different character it was also nice because they got together and normally there's like a conflict and they completely separate and then you're like waiting until the very end when they come together but they actually have just like a couple little skirmishes i'll call them but they're together the entire time they say i love you they get me it's like this is what i like to see because i like to see characters like get together and then what is the after of that and this is the first time that i think i've seen that and then I also read The Women of Troy by Pat Barker, which is the sequel to Silence of, uh, so basically post-Trojan War, there's just waiting to leave and, and go home. And then I'm nearly finished with The Day and the Death of Joe Egg by Peter Nichols, which is a play. And it was something that I had spotted at the Broadway Museum. I was just like, this is such a compelling and odd title. And looked up what it was about and i was like oh my gosh this actually seems very interesting but i've only read one act so i'll probably finish that tomorrow i'm sure that i have time so i think i think that's it so yes i recommend conversations with friends i recommend it was interesting watching it too um those adaptations are i would say like 90 percent accurate source material like taking conversations literally from the the book and it's interesting to see the affect of the characters because when you're reading these harsh things that francis is saying it's like how is she actually presenting it and of course that's artist interpretation but i think it's also the relationship between her and nick i think is a little more romanticized in the the adaptation than it is in the book because they do have some rows and he also says some critical things to her, but they don't really present him that way in the TV show. But yeah, recommend it. I think I would just recommend, I think normal people first personally, but I know that Sheena really loves uh conversation with friends. Oh, and I also want to say that the author, I feel like I see the author in her characters. I, Sheena sent me a, an article think for the new yorker on sally rooney i'm like oh yeah that's that's she's part francis part marianne i also kind of worry about her uh the self-harm i think really only happened in that conversation with friends so that's like a one-off but in both normal people and conversations with friends there's weird i'm gonna say a weird moment because it it feels like it's very uncomfortable for I think the reader, I think it's intentional for that, as well as the male member of the the pelvic affiliation. But the woman is saying, like, you can do whatever you want with me. You know, do you want to hit me? And the other guy is saying, or the other guy, the guy is saying, like, I don't think I would like that. Um, makes me feel. And this happened two out of two times. And so I just wonder, like, why would you write that? Because one is like, okay. You know, that's a weird quirk. Let's look at what this character is going through. But then two times is like, okay, we've now copied and pasted. Situation has changed a bit, but let's examine this. And so maybe I worry a bit about Sally Rune, some things that she may be going through. Okay, well... Remember, you can send any questions or comments to Backroll to Oracle at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at Backroll Oracle. And subscribe to the show on YouTube for an uncut version where I occasionally do flub up 
that last line and other lines as well. Subscribe to the show. Nope. See, there you go. Uh, follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. And support the Batman Universe by subscribing to Patreon. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Back with the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And next time we're going to see, oh my gosh, Stephanie Brown as Robin. Whoa. Whoa, I bet that's going to last a while. You know what I'm saying? But until then, fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. I love a happy ending, don't you?